In 2005, two brothers hit the road to chase demons and fight monsters. You know, like you do. After 15 years, they made television history and built a community of dedicated and lasting fans. Sure did. I'm Rob Benedict, and I played God, a.k.a. Chuck Shirley. Yeah, you are, and yeah, you did. And I'm Richard Spade Jr., and I play the Archangel Gabriel, a.k.a. the Trickster, a.k.a. Loki. I also had the privilege of directing a bunch of episodes of the show. Have a few more a.k.a.s, why don't you? Jeez. A.k.a. you're a jerk. Though we've been involved with the series for years and multiple seasons, we never sat down and watched the entire show. Oh, that's not true anymore. Now... We're deep into it. We are going episode by episode and diving in with the folks who made it to bring you an insider's point of view and some great behind-the-scenes stories from the writers, producers, crew, and actors. And you're getting our pure, honest, unfettered reviews. And along the road, let me tell you, we're becoming fans. Buddy, we are super fans. We've heard you saying it for years, and we finally get what all the excitement's about. This show holds up after all this time and deserves to be watched and rewatched. We will be hitting on some spoilers, so consider yourself warned. And if you have any angry emails you want to send, please direct them to Babo. Thank you for joining our journey and listening to Supernatural Then and Now. Hi, everybody. I'm Rob Benedict. I am Richard Spate Jr. And we are talking about Season 4, Episode 21, When the Levee Breaks. Oh, boy. That's one episode past Rob Smokes Pot Time. Wait, what? Oh, 420. Right. Gotcha. Got it. Sorry. It's 420. Just catching up because I smoke so much pot. This time, yeah, Rob likes to smoke pot during any time there's a season four, episode 20 of any show, Rob's high. That's true. Doesn't matter what show. Doesn't matter if he's watching the show. Doesn't matter if he's aware of the show. He's well, high. And, and you know, that's not a lot of shows these days. No, not, in the old days, you got uh, you got high a ton. Well, you know what yeah, I mean? Every... It, it, you know, some people have that motto, it's five o'clock somewhere. You have said to me more than once, well, it's season four, episode 20 somewhere. No, I, I would say it's NCIS, it's NCIS somewhere, because those are the only shows that have that many episodes anymore and run for that or many seasons. Or Law and Order. You know, yeah, or Law and Order, or, C, or CSI. But, uh, oh boy, this is the penultimate episode of season four. <laughs> Yeah. I like to say penultimate oh, whenever I can. And this I and oh boy, whenever you can. And oh boy. Uh you're darn right it is. We're about to park the car in the garage, buddy. Yeah. For season four. Yeah. All she wrote. Yep. Getting close. Yeah. It's exciting. Well, story. let's not waste any time. Why don't you do the summary for this bad boy and let's get chatting. All right. Sam is locked in Bobby's panic room. If you remember from season four, episode twenty, that's where we left it. Well, he's still there. and I'm glad you remember because you were definitely high. So high. It's still him. Dean and Bobby believe that by isolating Sam, he'll be able to kick his addiction to demon blood and the effects will fade. Ha! That's how it works. Sam starts to hallucinate. First, he believes he is being tortured by Alistair. Next, he is visited by a 14-year-old version of himself and later by a vision of his mother. The visions seem to be reassuring <laughs> Sam on his choices. Meanwhile, Rufus calls Bobby and informs about more seals being broken. Which is a bummer because the elephant, lion, and seal community are already endangered. Right. Boat propellers, right. fishing nets, right. constantly. Yeah. And now, more of them are being broken. Yeah. And I didn't know until this moment in the series mm -hmm. that Rufus was a bit of a marine biology buff. You know what I mean? No, I had no idea that Rufus had that. Meanwhile, Rufus calls Bobby and informs about more seals being broken. Dean goes to Castiel for guidance, who tells him that Sam could defeat Lilith, but it would take so much demon blood that Sam would become inhuman. Dean pledges his allegiance to God and the angels, understanding that this will give him what it takes to defeat Lilith. 
Sam starts to have convulsions in the panic room. He starts to supernaturally be thrown against the walls. Bobby and Dean strap him down. Bobby wonders if they should give him what he needs. Dean refuses and would rather let Sam die than see him turn into a monster. I will say that they have a panic room and they seem to panic when people start panicking in the, in the <laughs> panic room. It defeats the purpose. It's a hat on a hat. I mean, I'm like, isn't that, isn't that right there in the title, yeah. fellas? He's going to have a, an emotional journey yeah, in there. Yeah, it's a double negative. Strangely, yeah. Castiel arrives and frees Sam from the panic room. Sam is trying to steal a car to escape when he is confronted by Bobby with a shotgun. Sam tests Bobby's resolve to use it. Bobby doesn't, and Sam grabs the gun, knocks Bobby out, and escapes in a stolen car. And dr drugs, huh? Drugs, they'll do it to you. Dude, I'm telling yeah. you, teens. Teens, take notice. Anna appears to Castiel and confronts him about releasing Sam. Castiel says he's following orders. Angels arrive and take Anna into custody. Sam has found Ruby and drinks more of her blood. She tells him Lilith is needed to break the final seal, and she has a lead on how to track her down. Dean arrives and tries to kill Ruby. Sam stops him and asks Dean to trust him. Dean refuses and calls Sam a monster. They fight. A monster? Them's fighting words. Yeah. So they fight, oh. and Sam almost strangles Dean unconscious. Sam turns to leave. Dean, laying on the floor, bloodied, tells him, you walk out that door, don't you ever come back. Sammy. Oh, my God. Rob, are you Thank okay? You. Oh, that was you acting. acting. Kind of I, scared me. No, I just had something in my throat. Sam says nothing <laughs> and walks out. High drama. That doesn't bode well. Yeah, this is a cautionary tale for uh, drug and or demon blood use. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, I hope. I hope people are paying attention because yeah. it's a long fall to the bottom. Yeah. Sam's on a dark road to nothingness, Robbie. Dark road to nothingness. It's uh, it's hard to watch, really. Uh, and uh, It is hard to watch, but I guess we didn't, ha we didn't have a choice because we're paid to watch. And now it's time for R-R-R. Or as the broken seal might say, And rich review. Or, or, or. It's, a, it's a broken seal. It's not a healthy seal. <laughs> that seal the broken, broken seals are a great band. <laughs> uh, well, it's all it's all coming together now. It's all the happening, you know. Uh, Dean it's coming together, like, but it's a train wreck. Right, it's negative. I'm it's just saying, like, all and... all plot points are all converging. Yeah, and uh, you know, Dean tries. Yeah, try, they're converging. Dean. Dean trying to kill Ruby, you know. Yeah. Castiel just, just you know. Phone, phoning it in. Wait, just it, like doing nothing. It, this is the one also where where we have like, when he's hallucinating, Sam hears uh, a message from Dean that says like, he's a, my brother's a monster. Was this this episode? When he hears, yeah, he hears like. I'm drawing a blank. He, Sam hears Dean, a message that Dean left him, which isn't a message that Dean left him. And the message is like, you're a monster, Sam. You'll always be a monster. I don't support you. It's like real negative. Right. It just Well, he sees, he hallucinates Dean, doesn't he? Yeah. I mean, he, am he, I missing he, something? He hallucinates yeah, he, Dean. Yes. Giving him the business, yes. you know? He hallucinates a bad, an evil Dean that doesn't exist. Yeah, it's sort of an unfriendly Dean. Yeah. It's not even a purely evil Dean, just like. Sour Dean. Sour Dean. Sour Dean. Listening to Sour Dean. Sour Dean, also a good band name. Um, yeah, I, I, uh, I, I uh, forgive me. We watched like three episodes in a row, so I'm like, it's and the, and all these last three episodes kind of yeah. Like, I'm having the same uh, same. They thing all roll here. into same each other. Challenge. But you know, it was, it was great. It's a great episode for Sam. You know, and we got to see that Panic Room back in play. That finally, you know. Yeah. What did you think, Richard Spade Jr.? I thought it was solid. 
you know, uh, a good. Uh, certainly love those flat Like seeing Colin Ford, he's always great. Sam Smith popping back in there. Oh, yeah. Jared did a nice job playing a man in crisis. Yeah. And certainly Jensen's always good at playing the sort of torn between two decisions kind of guy. Mm-hmm. Bobby did a Jim Beaver is always nice as sort of the, I don't know if the voice of reason, but sort of the grounding force for yeah. the whole thing. And Julie McNiven. Interesting turn where suddenly Bobby was the one who wanted to let Sam out. I thought that was an interesting, you would think it would be, Right. Well, it could have been that Dean is like, ah, oh, it's my brother. He's in torment. We got to let him out. And Bobby would be like, no, this is what you got to do. But that was, they reversed that, which I thought was cool. Yeah. It was basically Dean telling Bobby, stand down, man. We're doing this. Yeah. Well, that's kind of like where the relationship is right now, where Dean's being hardcore, strict brother. Yeah. And they're, the, the, the various demons, no pun intended, that, they, that they're both wrestling with are kind of coming into play now. Yeah, for sure. Oh, and, I, and we gotta, I have to call this out because it's one of my favorite guest stars in the history of the show uh, is Christopher Heyerdahl. Right. I, I just think he's so great. And as soon as Alistair shows up, you're like, oh my gosh. And I love his exchange. Like, thank you for being polite. <sighs> Me's a lot. And then he goes back to slicing him up. Like, yeah. it's just great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Probably my favorite scene of the whole episode is that moment. I just love... Sam's look of terror when he realizes that guy's there yeah. and he's like, what should we do to pass the time? You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So creepy. Yeah. So good at it. Great Heyerdahl slash uh, Brando impression. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, let's, let's facial hair this son of a bitch up. Do you, have a, do you have a thought on what you want to do from a facial hair standpoint? Well, I'm thinking like one that's like not, that's not complete. Because to me, these, these last two episodes roll into each other. And so it really right. isn't a final beard yet but it, it's on its yeah. way to greatness so great bit by the way while we're talking about greatness the the sam panicking on his own flopping around the wall yeah. so well shot yeah. so well done so well acted by jared so well shot by bob singer you know just really cool yeah i, I was i was gonna props out to bob singer the director not the character yeah bob did a lot of cool yeah. stuff to differentiate what was an illusion what was reality and how how the two were confusing right. sam and right you know, it's a, a lot of time in one round room. Yeah. And and Bob made it very cinematically interesting. Right. Um, you know, so for me, you know, something like maybe, um, you know, like Hulk Hogan, which is like such a great, some great facial hair on Hulk Hogan is just a, it's just a, a just a, the perfect handlebar mustache. Uh, but it's it's not the full beard yet because it, it's, you know, incomplete without that f- next episode. Right. Um, so maybe that's where I... But Hulk Hogan kind of has like the long mustache, yeah, right? Yeah, like a ha- handlebar the, uh... all the way down, right? Right. But it's it, it's phenomenal. It's a signature look. It's it's a standalone. It's it's amazing. But it's, it's not quite the full beard yet because we really need that next episode to make it uh, fully complete. Right. This episode is the Scotty Pippen of the of the Bulls in the nineties. Again, that's a great uh, great analogy. Again, for a certain age group. Yeah. B being right in the heart of it, so I'm right there with you. I'm going to go in keeping with your theme. I'm going to go Macho Man Savage, Randy Macho Man great. Savage. I feel like yeah. Macho Man, especially in his earlier days, had a, a beard. Uh-huh. So this is before the snap into the Slim Jim. Before the slap into Randy yeah. Macho Man right, Savage. Right. Before, but yeah, before he had the crazier beard. Yeah. It's a more trim beard. Mm-hmm. Hair's kind of wacky. Mm-hmm. He's got a beard, but it's trimmed for TV. Mm-hmm. Even though he's trying to play a crazy wrestler, he's also, you know, trying to woo the ladies and and be a television personality. So it, it's got some shape to it. Uh, but it's not a Stapleton, uh-huh. you know, uh-huh. and, and it's not uh, Kenny Loggins. You know, we're not talking Loggins Stapleton. But I would say, yeah, I'd say Robbie and I are giving this kind of a 
WrestleMania kind WrestleMania, of review. WrestleMania, uh, yeah, perfection. Yeah, so we're gonna go with the, the the Hulk Hogan and the Randy Macho Man Savage. Perfect. There you go. Early Savage. Good job, everybody. And now for our interview portion of the show, we talked to Jerry Wanick, uh, our buddy. He's a recurring uh, guest on this podcast, production designer and producer of the show. Um, always such a treat. And here's our interview with Jerry. We're so pleased we've got Jerry Wanick back with us uh, discussing season four. Hello, Jerry. Hello, Rob. Is it safe to say that Jerry's a podcast mainstay? Yeah. Like, you know, he's one of the regulars. Yeah, he's 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 really, he's the Castiel or the, you know, the Bobby of our show. Yeah, and, and I'm thinking <laughs> yeah, about yeah, branching yeah. off and starting my own podcast. I just, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that makes sense. Yeah. 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 It'll, you it'll have gotten way more expensive than you were when we started this podcast. Yeah. Like you're, yeah. you're... It's, it's going to be as Jerry sees it, supernatural. In the early yeah. years. Yeah. I love it. Um, well, thanks for, thanks, for, thanks for being a part yeah, of this. It's awesome. Absolutely. Uh, I, I love being a part of it. Yeah. I love seeing you guys and uh, reminiscing. And, you know, it's just a pleasure. Awesome. It's so great. So season four, a lot happens. There was a big change. Uh, we see the introduction of Castiel. We've been asking our guests this season about their thoughts about that change at the time when we went from Monster of the Week to, to more Heaven and Hell stuff and what that meant for you creatively figuring out what that looked like. Well, you know, what really made a difference going, you know, to the whole mythology of the angels and um, a little bit of Wings of Desire, you know, aspect, it, it right. really gave us more to you know like dig our heels into you know we got we got to like flush out that whole side of things and you know from the first time uh misha was on camera you knew something magical was happening there and um i was a big proponent of telling you know eric and bob and phil and whoever would listen sarah that you know we, we need more of, of misha because you know he's killing it and I think the monster of the week, it's funny because you guys, when you go to your conferences and things, and me, when I run into um, fans, it's one of the things they always bring up, you know, and it's about half that go, oh, you know, I love the first three seasons when it was just monster of the week. And then the other ones, yeah. you know, are like, oh, no, you know, since you brought in Crowley and, and Misha, and, you know, or Castiel mm-hmm. and, and, uh, and God, Rob, uh-huh. <laughs> you know, this was your big season. Obviously. Yeah. Yeah. And then, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. And then we found a way to bring Richard back, which was very cool. And, um, but it was one of the smarter moves the show ever made. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, sure. Yeah. I had no part of that, Richard. I mean, just, just, yeah, to be a totally two schools of thought. I mean, definitely two schools of thought. I mean, you know, you know me, two schools of thought, uh, what what the producers think and what Rob thinks. (laughs) Two schools of thought. (laughs) Well, here's a question like on the, on the heels of that, while, while you're talking about all the things that were so positive season four. There is some discussion amongst, as Rob was saying, amongst the brass, the creative types like yourself, that season four was a, if not a favorite, a high watermark. Does it stand out to you as a as a an exceptional season? Uh, it does, and um, and for that reason, I mean, I just thought, how much longer? I mean, Eric and and Sarah and the rest of the writers did a phenomenal job of creating Rougarous, and you know, there's but there's only so many monsters under the bed, and. Um, I'm going, you know, we started, you know, bringing back some of the same monsters and, you know, and uh, once we dove into the angels, God, and and that whole aspect, it just opened up, you know, an infinite number of scenarios. So 
I really think season four was responsible for the 15-year run. Just that turn. That's the way I personally see it. Plus, we got some great characters. Yeah. You know, when somebody's in monster makeup or whatever, it's just, it's a different, because right. it's like a one, it's a one-shot deal where, yeah. you know, the God and Castiel and Gabriel and Crowley, you know, everybody got to develop and you really look yeah. forward to seeing what they were up to next. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But kind of interesting, though, that like, I feel like that was never planned. I mean, like if you... If the writers are to be believed that we interview, a lot of times it was a little bit, I don't want to say arbitrary, because obviously the the writing is very intelligent, but a lot of times it'd be like, well, look, take Rob's character. Rob, I think we actually talked about this in the interview with uh, your character being developed. Uh They were like, well, here's Rob Benedict doing a great job as Chuck. How do we link Rob into a grander part of a mythology because we can capitalize? Like it wasn't necessarily baked into the They're almost writing to casting. You know, the the other side of that, though, is the fact that, you know, Rob hit it out of the park as you did, uh, Richard. You know, I mean, there's a lot of people that we brought in for a episode, an episode, and then became regulars. Because, you know, they also don't know, like, they write this character and then how well can somebody pull that off? And I mean, I am still amazed that through our 15 years when looking back and I would read a script and I'd go, <laughs> I'd just laugh because, and it wasn't because the script was funny. I was going like, well, that's it. I mean, we're done. You know, this is, we, we, we've jumped, <laughs> like jumped the shark yeah, stuff. The shark. Yeah. You know, changing channels, uh, French mistake, all, you know, inevitably when given to you thespians, what you turned it into was just pure joy. Mm-hmm. And those became some of, you know, fan favorites and they were our meta episodes. And, you know, yeah. the writing was fantastic. Even like I watched uh, 21 and 22 and between Sarah and Eric and how they pigeonholed the last two episodes, that was just fantastic. You know? Yeah. I mean, it, it really wanted you to look forward to season five. Yeah. Well, we're going to dive into season four and in, in this episode in, in particular, but I yeah. just want to cap that comment off with one sort of observation that, that Rob and I have made many times from a TV history standpoint, forget the fact that all the three of us are involved. Supernatural and this, I guess, goes to Orwitz Dawson Kritzer casting and Heike casting in Canada. Then unbelievable success rate with guest stars. Even if somebody comes in for one episode and is one and done, the strength of performance in Supernatural is jarringly good. It's up with the best shows on TV in terms of cast. And I'm not talking about the fan favorites. I mean, like, it could be the guy who comes in and does three scenes and you never see him again. The strength of the casting was incredible on that show and consistent. I agree. I mean, I forgot about the guy that ends up in the dungeon with um, Jared. Oh, you know. Who plays Alistair. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. He's so great. Christopher Heyerdahl. Heyerdahl yeah. I mean, he was fantastic. God, he's good. He was so <laughs> yeah. creepy and so committed. I mean, I, I forgot how good that whole scene was. He's one of my favorite guest stars the show ever had. He was unbelievable. Yeah. He was so scary. Yeah. Him standing perfectly still is horrifying. Yeah. And it's funny because when I watched him, first of all, I thought he was doing a little bit of uh, a bad Marlon Brando, Godfather Brando, with his, yeah. his uh, speech yeah. thing. But, you know, watching it again, I went, oh, that's just creepy. That is just yeah. so good. That is so creepy. Yeah. Um, Such a cool choice. You know, I, I got to say for this episode, it's really about the acting. We didn't do that much as far as a set. We built the holding cell 
And the storyline of that, as far as a creative uh, art department thing was, we needed something made of iron and would be logically in Bobby's basement. And I remember my grandmother had this old farmhouse and in the basement, she had a cistern. So it collected rainwater and that's what they used for feeding the cows or washing clothes and stuff like that. But it was like this dark tank of water. And it was just like, we were all scared to go in the basement. And um, so I said, okay, so Bobby could have one made out of steel. And I like round sets, even though they tend to be more difficult to shoot. Why? Can you elaborate on that? What, why, is it, why are they more difficult to shoot? Well, one of the things that is really deceiving is if, let's say, you're doing a set that's 24 by 24 and it's, it's, it's a box. There's a lot of room there. That's a, that's a big room. If you make a circle, the, the diameter is 20, 24. Now you're, you lose so much. And we thought we, we had a plenty, you know, big enough room. And, and it actually works. It's just that each one of those panels we had to wild out. So every time you see a scene with those rivets and those battens, that wall moves, you know, so it was all. Right. So I wanted to elaborate on that for people who don't know what wild means. It means that you've specifically designed a part of the set to to be be removable so that camera and crew can move in and out. And there was only a few times, you know, and Bob did an incredible job. Bob, you know, when does Bob not do an incredible job? I don't know. You know, I mean, he's uh, consistently just nails it. But um, he had a techno crane because it's Bob and Bob wants a techno crane. Bob's going to get it. Bob has a techno crane. (laughs) And uh, so he did this great shot, like from above, you know, where you saw the whole circle and you saw Sam in the middle of the devil's trap. Then after that, everything got pulled. Probably half of that circle was pulled out of the way while Bob did his coverage. You know, that way you give Serge an opportunity to use longer lenses and, and what have you. But a lot of thought went into that set because, you know, we had these highly textured iron walls, but if you don't have the right light source on them, you don't see it. It'll just look right. like a flat wall. So what we did is we shrunk the ceiling by four inches all the way around. Now, you couldn't perceive that gap when you were looking up, but what that allowed us, it gave us a trough, the full diameter of that circle to shine light straight down the wall. And then that picks up all the texture. We knew this was going to be a special set, and we knew that pretty much the whole episode was going to take place in there. We put a lot of thought into it. So now, it was introduced a a while ago, did you, was it kept standing or did you take it down knowing you might need it again? No, that one, I think we kept standing because it was building toward that. Okay. And then, um, yeah. but uh, there are a couple, like one of the Easter eggs we had is the the door, which looks like an old furnace door. And that was intentional because we needed that little trap door where little, you can look yeah. through and then there's bars. And I mean, it's just, uh, yeah. but the name of the metal company is Premier Scrap Metal or Premier Metal. And that was the name of Eric Kripke's grandfather's business in Cleveland, Ohio. No way. Yeah, that's that's, that's where, awesome. Yeah, as you guys know, we play with a lot of that stuff. You know, it's always nice because, first of all, it gave the door a lot more character than just having a flat metal door. But to be able to have, like, Eric see that, you know, it was just like, yeah, he just starts laughing, right? You know, it's just one yeah, of those yeah, things. Yeah, yeah, Ahoy. Rich Spade here. Hope you're enjoying the episode, but we got to pull over for a second for some messages.
Thanks for listening. Now back to the episode. I remember yeah. that one of the toughest things when we premiered that set was, I think it was written where we had Bo Derek on a poster in there and, or else we had Farrah Fawcett and ended up with Bo Derek, but it's like, we couldn't get it cleared and it's getting to be like the day before and where Bobby had this one fascination or fixation with either Bo Derek or, or, uh, you know, Farrah Fawcett. And I remember that was like one of those things that went back and forth. You have to get the rights for something like that, right? You do. And then you have right. to pay every time it's on screen. But, yeah, uh, that's crazy. Let me ask you a question about your wall. Yeah. Because the, the, the texture of the wall you mentioned, which is super cool, and I love knowing that that's how we were able to see it, is that you, you lit it without us knowing it was lit, which is really cool. It almost felt like it was wet in that kind of creepy way. Is that just the lum- luminescence of the paint or d- was it wet down or like what was No, it? that's a that's a good question. And we, we did it all the time. And that's basically glazes that go over after you paint it. You know, they're gloss glazes and it builds up another layer and it makes it feel damp or, or wet or, you know, lumin- it does give it some luminescence, you know. But that's yeah, amazing. it makes it creepier. I don't know why, but it just makes it creepier. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, it's like you go into a, a basement and you see mold. But if the mold is dripping and it's wet, you know, you're going to stand farther away from it. You know, it's not just yeah. a green wall. It's a kind of a living, you know, organism. And that's An oozing green wall. That, that's yeah. always uh, creepier. But, you know, again, I had such great painters. I mean, between, uh, you know, Monique Knees, who, you know, did just about every set. And, you know, Roger was uh, coordinating the, the crew at that time. And, you know, Roger just, you know, Roger had a great eye and he brought in great people. And, but I, it's, it's great to look back, you know, this is over 10 years since that aired and see how well it holds up. And, and, yeah. you know, th- there's another uh, nod to the, to the genius of Kripke and, and the guys who put this together. And it was Kripke's, you know, Bible is, it's going to be classic rock music. The boys are going to have flannel shirts, cowboy boots, and jeans. So 10 years, 20 years down the road, it's watchable, you know? And right. the example that everybody always brings up is they go, how many times have you seen Miami Vice reruns? You know, and I'm going like, yeah, you know, it doesn't really happen, you know, because it's right. so dated, right? you know, and the music's it's dated. So dated. Now, it'd probably be fun now, right? But right. for yeah. the last 20 right. years- enough distance between it, yeah. The last 20 years, it was not on- uh, TNT every day and uh, yeah. Hulu and, you know, I mean, I don't even know yeah. where you'd find it. But um, yeah. so speaking of cool sets that you built in this episode specifically, though, though you're the king of hotel rooms, you got to go and do something that wasn't, you know, a roadside dump. You made like a, a, a honeymoon suite, we did. a fancier version of that. Is that refreshing? Is it nice to do something that's like clean and white and bright colors? I mean, as a, as a change? It, it absolutely was great to do something high end because, quite frankly, you know, I mean, that was only season four and we did 10 more seasons of motel rooms. And, you know, <laughs> it was it became, you know, fairly taxing to just come up with a new concept because once we went down the concept road of like the disco hotel, all these other things we did, the mud flap, the fans really latched onto that. And, you know, we get a lot of feedback. And so you just want to one up that every time. Yeah. Um, right. So to do this one was was a real breath of fresh air. And we talked earlier about Robert Leader. Robert has a very refined taste. And, and this was kind of, 
we all, like John Marsidek, myself, we all had our input. But Robert kissed that in. And Robert did a phenomenal job. And I, I talked to him yesterday because I said, Robert, you did that, right? Because the it was octagonal on top of octagonal on top of octagonal. But it really worked. Like the, the, the shape of the room yeah. was octagonal. The screens were octagonals. The muttons in the windows were octagonals. The, de- the detail on the door were octagonals. The little platform where the bed was on, that was an octagonal. You know, and then the the the, the leather wall behind the bed, which had, you know, the, the stamped with the G, the little uh, graphic with the G. And I was trying to remember if we did that because we knew Genevieve was going to be in there or if there was an huh. of the hotel why we used a G, you know. Huh. Or Clever. it could have been for God. It could have been for Rob. It could have been. Yeah. You know. There you go. You know. That's, of could course, what I was thinking. Yeah. That's- I know that, Rob, you'll agree with me that if you're standing in those hotel rooms, because I know we both shot in those kind of places, yeah. when they turn on the trans light outside the window, you swear to Pete you're in an actual yeah. hotel room. Absolutely. Like, the detail you guys commit to is... Like I could, like I couldn't afford the rooms you built. Like I'd be like, oh, man, I'd love to be able to get this suite. Unfortunately, <laughs> I, it's out of my budget. I mean, it's funny how many times when we really did a high-end uh, hotel that the actors, Rowena, I remember her coming up and saying, uh, can I just stay here? You know, <laughs> I'm, at, yeah. I'm at the, I'm at the Sutton or I'm at the, whatever the other place was. I'd, I'd rather stay here. <laughs> the level. <laughs> That's funny. You know. No. Now, jumping ahead, in the season finale of the of season four, there's this green room, which is, you know, where Kurt Fuller is, yes. sort of, we're up in heaven and Jensen's yes. trapped in this room. Was was there, that a reference to Stanley Kubrick's 2001? Because um, the show has a lot of visual references to The Shining, so wondered if that was like a Kubrick thing. You know, Rob, that, that, that may have come up in the discussions. I mean, we knew we needed that kind of opulence. And that kind mm-hmm. of detail, because mm-hmm. it's heaven. I mean, well, it's somebody's version of heaven, right? We, you know, sure. So right, right. Um, we quickly jumped to really the Palace of Versailles. That was more of a, ah. uh, you know, that was more of a touchstone. And you know, I got to give credit where it's due. You know, John Marcinek really took on that. Yeah, it was uh, something that you know he was really interested in. And um, looking at all those moldings and, and things. I, I don't know. We had like 500 linear feet of moldings laid out. And we had this Roger and Monique and Lewis and all these painters because all that's done in gold leaf. And I don't know how many thousands and thousands of dollars we spent on gold leaf because gold leaf wow. actually has little flakes of gold in the paint. So, oh. yeah, you can get gold spray paint in a can, but it's not going to stand up to what we do and to the, you know, high definition cameras and all that. So, so the paint is called gold leaf. Yeah. It's, it's, it's actually, you can buy little vials of gold leaf and it's just little flakes of gold, the real gold. Wow. But that was, that was one of those because you can do a lot of stuff fairly quickly. I mean, we have the best construction department and crew, but you can't really mess with the palace of Versailles. You know, the walls have to be plaster. All those moldings have to be perfect. And mm-hmm. the time it took, I mean, we were not sleeping because mm-hmm. we were, we're used to throwing stuff up, giving it a great paint job. But then we age it to the point where, you know, if there's a crack, a seam, whatever, it just adds, right? We just throw a little weed coming out of it or, or something and it adds oh, wow. to the texture of our set. But in this one, and then, you know, there's a couple of gags that happen there. One is you're looking at the double doors, the only way in, 
Yes. Cut. And now you have a solid wall. And not only do you yes. have a solid wall, but Jensen's going to wail on it. Right. So it right. can't vibrate. You can't just stick something in there. It's got to be really right. secure. And it has to be out of a substrate you would believe what goes back to centuries, right? So it couldn't just be, you know, our fake stuff. We had to do it in concrete and then layer up with more plaster. And so, yeah, that, that brought back a lot of memories. Yeah, but, but, yeah. And in that discussion, is it like you and the effects guy and the director, you know what I mean? Are, you're all working your parts to make sure that gag happens. Yeah, right? we're all in the room at the same time. But what we yeah. always did, and, and some shows don't do it, we would always do a sample. So... Because Eric was the director, and I mean, for God's yeah. sakes, the one guy that you got to impress here is Eric. Yeah. And, and you know, yeah, we yeah. love Eric. You know, we're such big fans. So sure, you just go. We go all out, but then you really, yeah. you know, you're hypersensitive to anything that might not be up to his standards. And and Eric, yeah. thank God he has great high standards. So anyhow, we yeah. um, we we would make the wall, give Jensen a sledgehammer. And then Eric would come down, even though he's shooting some other set, we'd set it up on a stage adjacent or in the same set. And then Jensen would take a couple wax at it and we would go, okay, is that enough? Do you want it to break more? Da, 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 da. And then the mirror gag, when Kurt Fuller was sitting in that sort of like booth or banquet and we looked past yeah. him and we saw the repetitions with Yes, him. yes, great shot. Yeah, yeah. and that was, um, we knew we wanted to do it. Eric wanted that. And then we just had to figure it out. And Serge was a huge part of that because it, yeah, it, it, right. it, it incorporates a two-way mirror that you can look through. And then when you see the reflection back in the other mirror, now you're just keeps on multiplying. Right. And yeah. if it was- and You got to hide the camera. Yeah, yeah. It, well, because it's a, a two-way mirror, you can shoot through yeah. it, but you can't see the camera. So- right. But it, that was fun. I love it when stuff like yeah. that, because you learn something and it, it just, I, I mean, I was anticipating that scene when I was watching it because I remember I just chuckled when we, when I saw it, you know, in dailies and uh, yeah. it holds up and, you know, yeah. the, the cheeseburgers and the beer, you know, for, for, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. for Dean and uh, yeah. talk about between when the boys interact with you, the look on your face, your reaction when, uh, when they show up in your house. Is, yeah, is right, right, priceless. yeah, yeah. You know, because it's somewhere between God and Chuck, right? Right, yeah, 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 exactly. And Kurt Fuller was fantastic. Oh, he's amazing, you he's know? amazing. So He's so great. So so in, in season four overall, like I know we're talking about the last two episodes here, but just as a season, the sets were incredibly varied and memorable. Yeah. I'll name a few. Monster movie. Yeah. The Chris Angel set. It's a Terrible Life. Yeah, like it was. It wasn't just motel. It, you know, monster of the week going away, and this new world coming in. I feel like opened up more style, which triggers more creativity from your guys' side. Did you have anything that happened in this season that you thought was especially challenging, or that stood out to you as a as a favorite? Well, I, I I'm in that camp where I thought it was a seminal turn for our show. What else happened in season four, and it was starting to happen in three, but. The writers would just go, do something cool. So that gave us a much more open-ended approach. So we got to kind of throw stuff at the wall and see what stuck. And that is a double-edged sword because now we're in the con concept, you know, it's got to be part of the story, but you know, it's usually where somebody gets tortured, murdered. You know, it's usually where there's a pivotal scene. Right. And, um, you know, for me, 
I always tried to give it backstory, whether it was a drying barn for tobacco or an old distillery. Because once you tell your crew, like, yeah, this used to be an old distillery, so we're going to have some vats that are all crumbled here. We have a leaky roof that's coming in, and we, or it's an old church, or it's, you know, but to give it some backstory, you, you can flush it out and everybody kind of gets on board and goes, yeah, but, you know, this could have happened. And I said, yeah. So I think the, Again, between the honeymoon suite and the great room were things that pushed us because it wasn't in our norm. A lot of our sets have so much texture and so much like paint and aging and and clutter on them that they don't have to be perfect. But, you know, once you get to this, the gold leaf and all the palace of Versailles, that's a different story. And there was, you know, like what you saw in that episode, there's at least twice as much detail, like between the ceiling and and every, everywhere else that you you just didn't, you don't shoot because it didn't require. And I can gratuitously just do a, you know, 360 wide angle lens and see the whole set that, you know, doesn't service the story. Right. Honestly, Richard, I'd have to kind of go through episode by episode to... Um, yeah, 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 sure. And I know they're probably all near and dear to your heart. Oh, well, they are. And, you know, and, and it becomes abundantly clear, like when I sit down and when we do this and I, and I, I do watch an episode and, and I, I try to do it totally subjectively, like, you know, what if I had nothing to do with this? And I just caught myself. I'm like, yeah, I'd watch this. I totally watch. This. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. That's that's been this whole experience for us. Yeah, you know? yeah. It's, it's so it has that timeless quality to it. Yeah. Um, this season, ah, uh, you're you're going you're going yeah. right where I'm thinking, Rob. Right, with this, your timeless comment. Nice yeah, segue. Yes. Uh, the there's a lot of time jumping this season as well. You got after school special and in the beginning. Is it fun when you have to do period stuff or? researching that, recreating that? It is. Like whenever we do something that's major, and this is again, you know, between Bob and Eric, and I think it was Bob's coaching or urging to get Eric to, you know, comply. It was like, if they were doing something way out of the box, then we had a couple of weeks notice. They'd go, you know, I'd get a call from Robbie sometimes or from Sarah. They would just go like, hey, we're thinking about this. Can we do that? And I go, yep. How much time do I got? And they said, well, it's two episodes down the road. I said, perfect. Because we like the challenge too. And I cannot tell you how many designers and other people would go, why are you still on that show? I'm like, because I get to do like really cool stuff. And, you know, there's no box here, right? Because we do go, we go in the future. We go deep period. We go farmhouse. We go condo. You know, we're all over the place. So there's always right. a challenge. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, you never get bored. Plus, there's very few shows that were averaging over 200 grand an episode just in building, you know, and that's just the building. That's not the set deck, not the painting. That's just lumber and building. That's a lot, you know, for every eight days. Yeah. So you never got bored. I would embrace boredom, you know, but it, it, it never it never came, you know. I guess our last season things, you know, because of COVID happened, all this other stuff. And everybody, you know, the writing kind of condensed and got a little smaller. And we had, you know, we knew the show so well that that was the first time it it felt a little bit like, okay, we're ready for something else. But uh, sure, you know. But, you know, I th- I do feel like it's the show was underrated by our peers. You know, when you said that your, your friends, you're like, why are you still on that show? You yeah. know, like they, people maybe hadn't given the show a chance or sat down with it. I mean, how could you not be really blown away? It's not your typical CW show. It doesn't no. look like any other show on the CW. No. 
you know, for 15, really consistently for 15 yeah. seasons. But Rob, I, I bet, like, at least in my experience, when you ask them, have you seen the show? <laughs> you know, they, yeah, they, exactly. they haven't. No, 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 it's not really my right. thing. I'm saying, okay. Yeah. Yeah, not enough said. Right. You know. Exactly. You know, but, exactly. Because yeah. I think they write it off as like a CW show, like, yeah, it's not my but it's it's so much different than, yeah. you know, but it is amazing not to put down the other so shows. It is amazing how many people are finding it like on the TNT and on, you know, things like yeah. that on the sci-fi channel. Yeah. Uh because oh, yeah. I I still I, I was buying some sheets in Bloomingdale's uh last weekend and this girl, you know, taking a long time. We just started chatting and a supernatural came up and, I, and she just went like crazy. She goes, wow. I'm watching it for the third time every episode. <laughs> and she's asking me questions that are so obscure. I'm going, really? <laughs> okay. That's amazing. But, but it's great. Meanwhile, you're like, I'm just trying to get a duvet yeah, woman. Yeah. Leave me be. <laughs> Help me out here. Um, we have a clip of Bob Singer uh, giving away some secrets of how they rolled Jared Padalecki around the walls of the panic room and the look of the hallucinations. Yeah. So we're going to play this clip really quick, and then okay. we're going to discuss it. So Steve, Which we've never done before, by the way. This is experimenting with Jared. Oh, new. I'm the first. How did they do the practical effects for Jared Padalecki getting, down, getting thrown up against the wall in the panic room? Mm-hmm. Well, that's giving away secrets. Oh. <laughs> uh, we would do pulls, and you have to have a wire removal, um, so it's a visual effect. Worked really well, I thought. But, you know, it's basically just a, a pull. This one was a little more difficult because we're in this circular room, which, which, which was really a challenge to make that look pretty interesting. I, I was... Mm. I was probably as happy with my work in in that episode as in in anything. Wow! Uh, but anyway, you know, well, you know, we, we, it was a, it's a wire pull, but in this case, we had a because the the, the ceiling or, or the walls were so high in this set. Um, my memory is we had to do it through the wall, and then there's a you know the hard part was getting him where he was um, not just getting thrown against the wall, but sliding. Wow. The wall, so that was a little intricate, but it, it, again, it's wires. Uh, is it actually Jared or is it a stunt guy? Uh, yeah, in this case, yes, it was Jared. Yes, wow, I'm sure he loved that. It was payback for being late to <laughs> set a couple of times. Well, that's quite a few episodes later, and I, I'm, I'm sure he forget, had forgiven me by then. <laughs> okay, so and then you like from uh, I know you mentioned in previous interviews that your, your lens choice would be selected based on the tone of the of the episode it could change for example you talked about in monster uh monster movie using lenses that were more appropriate to that time frame when those monster movies were actually being made in this case you're doing these hallucinations was there a specific lens choice were you doing something different to shoot jensen's face during sam's hallucinations there's a, a what i thought was a really nice shot where jensen it's one of Jared's hallucinations where Jensen is walking around the table and it's like a 360 and it ends with Jensen. And then I drop down and Jared is in the foreground. And then at a certain point, Jensen leans in very close to him. And I used a real wide angle lens there as I did in a number of those things because it, it, it flattens out a person's face. It kind of distorts them a little bit when you get close to the lens with a, with a wide angle lens. Yeah, so I would use more wide-angle lenses and those things than I would normally use in just a straightforward thing. There was an old movie that was, I can't remember the name of it now, but it was directed by Eddie Dimitrik. And the evil character or the villain of that piece, what he did in that, and I saw an interview with him once, was he said as the, as the picture went on, 
and he would do close-ups. He would do the close-ups progressively with wider angle lenses to kind of sh- to, to, to kind of show that this guy's losing his mind a little bit. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So I, re- I had remembered that interview with him and seeing that movie, and, and I thought it was it was very effective. So uh, again, I, I borrowed there. Oh, cool! Really cool. And you're borrowing from the from the best. That's great. There we go. Yeah, you know, man, uh, it was like he was with us. I know. I wish he was. I wish we were. We got to do. We got to do a reunion. But um, yeah, you know, Bob really shot that well. He used wide uh, lenses for a lot of it, and you know, you really saw the whole set, even though it's a circle. The other thing we did was we did the Ridley Scott fan in the ceiling with really heavy backlight through another Devil's Trap. But Bob had a, a lot of nice shots, like past Jared. Like, like Jared's POV looking up to the ceiling and you got this whirling fan with this dramatic light coming through the devil's trap. And then that also gave you some nice movement in that whole room for, you know, those wider shots. And uh, Bob takes it really seriously, right? You know, and, yeah. and I remember when he came down to the set and he figured it out, but not many sets are circles. And this was, yeah. like he said, it was very tall. It wasn't like you could just get a camera and shoot over the top of the wall. But in order to make it believable as a place that Jared couldn't get out of, Sam couldn't get out of, we had to do that. You know, we had to get that scale uh, and also made it feel more claustrophobic. So, yeah. But I remember watching that and going like, Which it did. Wow. You know, because you, you could tell it was Jared when he was getting thrown against the walls and going like, yeah. wow, that, that had to hurt. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, uh, I thought the same thing. It was really cool the way they yeah. did that. It was really... And you could, again, I know that Robert asked about the stunt guy thing, and sometimes even I get fooled, but it sure seemed like it was Jared to me. Yeah, no, that, because uh, he was facing camera, you know, wasn't like, you know, he was turned away to the wall or anything. You know, he was basically right. getting his back right. slammed against, and you could, yeah. you could, oh, so it was him, but. Yeah. Yeah. That's what's fun about listening back at that interview. We can all point out when the dumb questions happen. Right, Rich? It's like, it's fun. We can sort of. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Why did I ask that? No. Yeah. Well, um, Jerry, thank you so much. This has been awesome as thank always you. having you on. and So great. Yeah. yeah. And it just, it really, it really, really illustrates, you know, how much work and art uh, went into creating this show. And as, as an artist, I really respect you. And uh, as a friend, Great to see you. Same here, guys. Yeah, man. Same and same. Love doing this. Love seeing you guys. And uh, can't wait for the next time. And can't wait to see you guys in person. This is Jared Padalecki stopping in to say hi and let you know that we've got to take a quick break. Thank you for supporting Supernatural then and now. And now, back to the show. Well, that was absolutely phenomenal. Phenomenal. <laughs> yeah, it was. Jerry's always great, man. Always fun and funny, and we could talk to him for hours and hours and yeah. hours, and he's just a delightful guy. Great guy. Miss seeing him in real life. Love having him on the podcast. Love hearing his perspective. As a guy who's in charge of the look of the show, yeah. he has great perspective, and as a producer for the entire run of it, he's got a great perspective. Yeah, such an ar- artist. Very congenial fella. Like, was always around getting to know people, yep. and so he really does have a good... Yep. And, uh, and again, a good eye and ear for the whole experience. We talk about this when we when we first got up to Vancouver. The first thing you would do is you'd get taken from the airport to the office where you would sign your contract. And back in the day, you'd get per diem. You don't get per diem in an envelope anymore. But and one of the first people you'd see in the office is Jerry. Like to me, he was one of the you know it was like Jerry and Lou Bolo. Like I would, those guys were always sort of around that area. 
And, and that, that was one of my favorite things because you were like saying what's up to the, the, the crew heads. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. But on a sadder note, and this is nothing about Jerry. Jerry's doing great. Randy Savage died in 2011. <laughs> I, I, didn't, I didn't know that. He died of a heart attack in Florida. You're talking about Macho Man. Randy Macho Man Savage. Well, yes, but I was using I was using his more okay. you know his formal right. name and, and to be respectful. But yes, okay. Randall Macho okay. Man Savage died in in 2011. Was it? Okay, wow. Well, I'm sorry for your loss. And P.S. That was 12 years ago. Wow, 13. I guess nice to know you just grow out of that kind of situation. No, just, but a lot of people it's not as shocking to people who knew him um, because it was a while ago. But yeah, at the time, yeah. yeah. Well, thank you for that. I didn't want to bring the podcast down. I just realized that. Well, he lives on in Crazy. our hearts. And in this review. And speaking of living on in our hearts, it's now time for... Mythology! Mythology! Mythology. It's time for mythology. So all season, the characters have been following the 66 seals. In the Christian... Or, or. In the Christian Bible, there are seven seals... Or, that, or, 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 or. Those are your seven seals. Hey, just be glad I didn't do the 66 seal. Yeah, you know, know what I'm saying? All, everyone's <laughs> thankful pretty... for that. But when these seven <laughs> seals are broken, they signal the start of the apocalypse. Wow. Well, Robbie, the first four seals are the appearance of the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Did you know that? Of course you did. You're reading the same sheet well, I got. What are the four horsemen? Well, it's uh, Daryl, Chet, Laird, and Thomas. <laughs> well, Took Those you a while to, to remember Thomas, but yeah, it's impressive. The first is the appearance of a rider on a white horse. Depending on interpretation, this is either the arrival of the Antichrist or a past Roman king like Nero or just a guy on a white horse <laughs> who's just trying to move from point A to point B and is kind of tired of being called the Antichrist. Uh, the second rider is on a red horse and is either Satan or the personification of war. Futurists believe it's the onset of World War III. And again, keep, or again, it's just a guy on a red horse. <laughs> just a guy on a red horse going, would you give me, quit calling me Satan <laughs> just, and quit scowling yeah, at my red horse. Just pass, passing through. The third seal. Yeah, Laird. Well, the rider is representing worldwide famine. Oh, okay. Well, the f- <laughs> so no, one's, no one's excited when he shows no. up to the party. And the fourth rider is death. Oh, great. That's fabulous. Hey, guys, this time when we're riding, can I not be last? <laughs> Uh, can I, can I, do I have to represent death? Can I be second? <laughs> I know you're bitching about being called Satan. It's a lot better to be called Satan who's alive than death. So how about we do a little switcheroo? The fifth, um, the fifth seal is about martyrs and martyrdom. Oh boy. He's a real pill. <laughs> Don't mind me. I'll do it. Yeah, I got this guys. Don't get up. The sixth seal. Me and my horse will take care of it. The sixth seal is some sort of cosmic upheaval. You know, I read that at first as comic upheaval, and I thought, well, that's fine. <laughs> He's kind of like doing real, real improv on an, on you know on a razor's edge, but no, it's cosmic upheaval. So that's that could be it could be pretty to watch from the ground because you're looking up at the cosmos, seeing uh, upheaval. Yeah, but uh, also probably causes uh, bad things to happen. Yeah, and the seventh seal, and of course the seventh seal. Yeah, is and I'm quoting now: uh-huh. silence in heaven. in heaven. Okay. So, in other words, when things are quiet in heaven, that's not good. That means the seventh oh, no. seal guy's there. No, the seventh seal's when broken. Okay, so. Oh. That's right. So, when, when there's, people are talking a lot in heaven, then that seal's kaput. Fine. That's good. Oh. But when that seal's uh-huh. broken, everybody 
everybody just clams up and kind of looks around uh -huh. awkwardly like, did you do it? Kind of like in, in heaven when somebody uh -huh. farts. And there's that moment like nobody wants to claim it. And it has sort of like a, it could have come from anywhere right. kind of vibe. So people kind of like awkwardly shift in their seats and kind right. of shuffle their okay. feet and look around, look around. They're going like, somebody going to claim this son of a gun? So seven, gonna... the seventh seal is a fart in heaven. Yeah, okay. exactly. Good. Again, we finally unraveled that. The theologians have been battling for centuries. Yeah, no, we, we, we figured. No. We finally got it. Yeah, it took us two minutes. Uh, and now it's time to follow up that mythology with what we like to call fun facts, fun facts, fun facts. Fun facts. The episode's name, the title of the episode, comes from a Led Zeppelin. And that's... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> So it comes from an actual dirigible made of lead? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Very interesting. <laughs> I always thought it was a song, but song title, but no, nope. it just comes from a Led Zeppelin, period. <laughs> <laughs> Which, by the way, if, if a Zeppelin tries to deliver you this name and it's not made of lead, don't believe it. No. It's got to be a gotta be a blimp made of, blimp. well, unflyable material. An unflyable blimp. Uh, blimp. <laughs> in Hungary... The episode is called The Path to Devastation. In England, it's called When the Levee Breaks. And in Japan, it's called The Happy Fun Boat That Kills You. <laughs> Dean's last line to Sam is the same line that John said to Sam when he left for Stanford. Man, Sam's really getting it from dad and brother, right? Yeah. Every time he tries to leave, they're like, if you leave this room... You walk out that door, never come back. He's like, golly, with the threats of the door and the not coming back crap. Yeah. You know, that's why he went ahead and walked out, because he knows last time, no, I, I got to come back in the door. I have a feeling I'll be able to come back in the door. Yeah. Maybe not at this hotel, in this particular hotel suite, which, by the way, we have destroyed. And here's the other thing. How thick are the walls in that hotel? They literally beat the tar out of each other, crush every piece of furniture within sight, yeah. Not one knock on the door from a major D. No. Not one bang on the wall from a guy next door going, hey, guy in the honeymoon suite. Uh -huh. I, I don't think you're enjoying the passion of a first night with your bride. I think you're killing somebody. Or maybe you, you know are. What I mean? like, maybe, that, maybe they just think that's how they roll in that. Maybe that's it. Maybe it's like they thought it was the kink and yeah. they didn't want to get in the mess of it, yeah. in the middle of it. Yeah. The last scene of the previous episode, The Rapture, was originally supposed to be the opening scene of this episode. Which is when they put Sam in the in the panic room. Yeah, yeah. So we 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 talked about that a little bit, but yeah, it had to had to do with time wanting uh, needing to uh, this that last episode to be a little beefier. So they added that right. scene and and made it to to be continued, which I kind of enjoyed. Okay, uh, the way that that turned out, that was kind of cool. Yeah, I kind of liked the way they did it. Yeah. They let they did the right thing. If they're wondering what Rob and Rich think, well, we think kudos. Yeah. Production team. Yeah. That was the way to go. Absolutely. Well, this is a heck of an episode uh, of this podcast. Uh, you were in the zone, as always, Robert. And uh, Jerry Wanick was just delightful. Yep. And uh, overall, I think it was a really good, uh, you know, yeah. I think we get a little tip of the cap to WrestleMania. And yep. A lot, of, a lot of bases were covered. Yeah. A lot of bases were covered. Yeah. Well, thanks, everyone. Thanks for listening. And uh, be sure to tune in next week because we got the season finale. It's a very special episode. Very special. We'll see you then. This episode of Supernatural features Jared Padalecki as Sam Winchester, Jensen Ackles as Dean Winchester, and Misha Collins as Castiel. Guest stars include Jim Beaver, Genevieve Padalecki, Julie McNiven, Christopher Heyerdahl, Colin Ford, and Samantha Smith. It's literally a greatest hits of guest stars. It really stars. truly is. What a list. Yeah. 
When the Levee Breaks was written by Sarah Gamble and directed by Robert Singer. Editing by Nicole Baer. Music by Jay Gruska. Executive produced by Eric Kripke and Robert Singer. This episode originally aired on May 7th, 2009. This episode of Supernatural Then and Now was hosted and executive produced by Richard Spade Jr. and Rob Benedict. Produced by Stephen Hine. Written by Stephen Hine and Hayda Holscher. Edited and associate produced by Trey Booty. How about Music provided by Tim Wynn. The episode was recorded with the help of Sonic Fuel Studios. This podcast is from Story Mill Media. Follow the podcast on Instagram and TikTok at SPN Then and Now. And become a member of the podcast at www.patreon.com slash SPN Then and Now. The vision seemed to be reassuring same on his choices. <laughs> Old same. Same, same and Dean. You know what? Same. And I didn't know until this moment in the series that Rufus was a bit of a marine biology buff. You know what I mean? No. No, I had no idea that Rufus had that. And, or Shaka Khan. Either one of them. Meanwhile, Rufus calls Bobby and informs about more seals being broken. Dean and Bobby. I get your Shaka Khan joke, just so okay, you know. I get Thank it. Because Shaka Khan was in Rufus. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Rufus and Shaka Khan. You didn't pull one over on this guy. No, Steve no, but I pulled one I pulled one over on every single other person who's listening. <laughs> every other person, including Steve Hine, who I just saw him like cut. Story Mill Media. 